Good morning, Veritas. Glad to be here with you guys this morning. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas. I know we have a lot of new people coming in for, for school, jobs, all that thing. It's a big turnover time, so I'm looking forward to getting to meet you if you're new. And uh, we are uh, studying through three chapters of the book of Romans. These are some of the best chapters in the Bible. And uh, Romans 6 this morning. I want to start off tell you a story about my friend in high school, one of the smartest, most liked kids in school. So it was a big deal when he gave his life to Jesus. We went on a mission trip together, and God just rocked his world. And in fact, um, there was an actual, there was an article in the newspaper in Omaha. It was like, it was like, you know, this senior's goal to serve God? Question mark. And and I remember that. And then came the summer before college. Fraternity rush functions, college life, alcohol, girls, all that. And once my friend tasted the sweet nectar of college freedom, his attitude was something like this. You know, trying to serve Christ, it's like I'm looking at these two paths and there's like this path filled with all these rules and a life of servitude. But then over here, there's this life of freedom. What will I choose? Now, what would you say to my friend if you could go back and talk to my 18-year-old friend about the path that was before him, a path of servitude or a path of freedom? You know, most people think that that's the choice. It's freedom or that kind of life filled with rules and serving. Oh, What to choose? Well, according to Romans 6, those are not our options. Look at Romans 6. We're in the last half, verse 15. Paul says, What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Now, that's a huge question, but we have to understand, well, first, what is under grace? What does that mean when someone says, I'm under grace? Well, Paul has been explaining for the first five chapters about grace, and it's God's unlimited capacity to forgive sinners apart from anything good that they've done. That's grace. That's what makes Christianity different from every other world religion there is. Grace, that word, is that God's gift, apart from works, apart from obeying the commands, God just gives his love freely to sinners. That's what it means to be under grace. So Paul asks the question, since we're not under law but grace, does that mean that we are free from doing the will of God? Because Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, right? You've seen that bumper sticker? So annoying. Because uh, usually they're cutting you off when you see it. And you're like, I don't know, I don't love that. I don't love that idea. So That's Paul's question, like, so are we free now to just kind of live under grace? Last week, Jeff kind of answered a similar but uh, different question. It's like, should we sin so grace could increase? Maybe that's the logic there. More grace I get. The more more I sin, the more grace I get. This is a little different. Now it's the question of, but am I free from doing the will of God? He goes on, look at verse, well, his answer in the end of verse 15, absolutely not. 
don't you know that if you offer yourselves to some, to some, if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Okay, so based on these verses, I know you're just hearing it for the first time and trying to catch up to what Paul's saying, but, but what would Paul, the apostle, say to my 18-year-old friend? I think the conversation would go something like this, like, oh, you want to be free, huh? Well, actually what's true is you're just going to be entering a different kind of slavery if you take that path. It's still slavery. You still have a master that you're serving. It's just a different kind of master that you're serving, right? That's, those are the choices Paul gives there. Not freedom to do whatever you want or servitude to Jesus. It's like, no, either way is, is slavery, because you're slaves of that one you obey. So there's only two categories. Let's put it in a chart, what, what Paul's saying here. So here's the two categories. Slave number one is you before Jesus. Slave number two is you after Jesus. Let's, let's work down the left side here. So what about uh, this slave? Who's the master? The master for slave number one is yourself. And what's your motto? If it feels good, do it. Isn't that freedom? That's the ultimate freedom, just to live out the full expression of your desires. That is the mindset of slave number one. If it feels good, do it. That's a worldly way of thinking, Paul says. So the category, notice slave number three, oh, it's not there. That's slave of no one. I'm a slave of no one. Nobody, I don't serve anybody. That, that category biblically does not exist because whatever you offer your body to, that's the thing that you will be a slave to. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's sexual pleasure. Maybe it's a fill-in. Like, it's anything. You, you bow down and you start serving that idol. So I want to tell you a story about this guy, Johnny Pappas. He was a Chicago native who landed a gig, this incredible gig in Vegas. Some generous investors gave him a casino resort on a silver platter. He had his own boat dock in a nearby lake. He had basically what seemed like a credit card with no limits. And these investors had put so much into him, and he was living large in Sin City. I mean, you want to talk about freedom, to do whatever you want to do, put yourself in that kind of position with that much power, with that much influence, with that much money, with that much pleasure, you couldn't be more free. But there's one little problem. Johnny Pappas was working for the mafia. Everything that he had was on loan 
from the mafia. Was Johnny Pappas free? Anyone want to switch places with him? This is you before Jesus. You are living large. And some of us are looking around at people and we're like, they're prospering and they're not following Jesus. So was Johnny Pappas. His freedom was an illusion. He was a slave. And where does that lead? Well, we'll finish the story a little later. But listen to what Paul says in verse 17. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart. Some of you are still trying to catch up to, do we just get a mafia cliffhanger? And you're trying to move on? Yeah, totally. Giving you time to to let your kids go to Veritas Kids. Um, I'm just kidding. Finish that story later, but thank God. Something happened to you. Something happened to you. And what does Paul say in verse 17? It's not... It's not that you became religious. It's that, what does he say? He says, you obeyed from the, what? From the heart. From the heart, you obeyed that pattern of teaching. So he's saying, it's not that you got got a new religion or new rules. You got a new heart. You You got new desires. Something happened inside you. You became a new person. Not just exterior, now I'm going to go to the self-help aisle and read all these books on how to, you know, get all these new behaviors. No, you got a new heart, and that's what you needed to change. He said, and you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. The pattern is, this is a word for, this is like the mold that craftsmen would use to cast molten metal. So it's like your, your heart was melted down and poured into a new cast. And it's this pattern of teaching is the teaching of Jesus. These words, righteousness, that, that's a, a way, or sanctification, that's a way of talking about Jesus' life. The, the life of holiness, righteousness, goodness. That's the mold that your new heart was poured into And verse 18, he says, and having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. And that's the good news of the gospel. You have a new master. Let's look at slave number two over here. Slave number two is you after Jesus. Here's your new master, Jesus. Here's your new motto, trust and obey. Not if it feels good, do it. Now it's Wow, I trust the infinitely wise, infinitely good master, Jesus. I'm enslaved to righteousness. There is such hope in the gospel. It's not just forgiveness, but it's transformation. It's change. It's the best kind of slavery to be in, to be enslaved to love and generosity, and freedom to care about other people, not just yourself. 
to look to see other people not as objects, but as people loved by God. This is the new way of life for us in Christ. In verse 19, he says, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. Like, if you're uncomfortable with the slavery thing, Paul gets it, right? I, hey, this is a human analogy, get it, but here it is. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness. I want to stop here for a second because I think with that phrase, to greater and greater lawlessness, we get a little window into the kind of the theology of sin or the psychology of sin, some, some way of however you want to think about this. But let's think about this. What happens when somebody is a slave on the left side, slave number one, if it feels good, do it. And so they do it. You do it, right? And does it satisfy you? No, it doesn't satisfy. What happens? When you feed your evil desires, it just wants more to ever increasing greater and greater lawlessness, like he says here in verse 19. So it's almost like sin, this, uh, the flesh, our body, our desires, our human desires, it's almost think of it like a bear. So you're camping at Yellowstone. That's what we did growing up. We didn't have the money to stay at hotels, so we had tents. We'd go to Yellowstone, and we'd be there, and, and we were always, you know, kind of hoping we'd see a bear, but not really. Didn't want to see it, wanted to see it, you know, kind of, and, and so we'd be camping. But imagine a bear comes up, and uh, the bear comes up to our camp, and he just sits there. And, and you know, we're, we're eating our good American picnic, and so he's watching us eat those delicious orange sticks that look like baby carrots, but aren't, because it's Cheetos. And we're eating those, and he's like, he's sniffing. He's like, that looks really good. And you're like, okay, come on over here, bear. I see you really want this. One Cheeto for the bear. You give the bear one Cheeto. Is the bear satisfied with the Cheeto? No, he's like you. He wants the whole bag. And so you're like, you realize, he kind of gives a little, to let you know, I want more. And so you start handing them more and you feed them the Cheetos. Is the bear satisfied after the Cheetos are gone? No, the bear wants more. So what does he do? You know, you, you look over and you're, you know, you're eating your sandwich and you like point to your kids like, all right, give up your food. And they start giving up their sandwiches. And then pretty soon the bear wants the whole picnic basket. And then you know what's left. Once all the food is gone, all he sees you as is a big Cheeto, right? You're food for him. And so all that's left after you've given more and more to the bear is you and the people you love. That bear is your flesh. He's your master. Is he going to let you off with one episode of SpongeBob, kids? Have you ever been satisfied with one episode of SpongeBob? No, because there's always another episode, right? And at the end of the season, are you just so satisfied with that? No, there's more, right? You've probably seen your parents do this with, <laughs> with Netflix. Are you satisfied with one video game? No, you want more. And then all of a sudden, some of you gamers, 
like four or five hours go by and you're like, dude, I just got on, right? And your mom or your dad or your spouse uh, is like, no, you've actually been on like all day. That's the bear eating you. That's what the bear does. Satisfied with one glance at that guy or that gal. Satisfied with one kiss, one kiss. What about one drink? Just, hey, just one drink. I know we're, just, we're having a good time. Just, this, is, this is the time. Just one drink. I got it under control. What about one bet? I'm just got one bet. This is a big game. This is a one-time thing. Paul says, that's slavery to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness. The bear always wants more. And that's what life looks like for slave number one. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. You were free. Slave number one is free. You know what they were free from? They were free from righteousness. They didn't have to care about anyone but themselves. They were free from loving people, free from generosity, free from all those things. But verse 21, but what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. Paul says, the things you are now ashamed of. Before Jesus, you were not ashamed because you thought about sin the way everyone without Jesus thinks about sin. How is that? How do they think about sin? I want to flip over to Philippians 3 for a minute. This is Philippians 3. Verses 18 through 19. And I want you to see what Paul says about how the unbelieving world lives in regard to sin. 318 through 19. He says, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross. Their end is their is destruction. Their God is their master. So this is like Roman 6 language. Their God is what? It's their stomach. It's their, it's their desires, their, their fleshly desires, what their body says. If it feels good, do it. If you're hungry, eat it. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. That phrase right there, their glory is their shame. That's how unbelievers think. The solution to the shame problem is what? Because, you know, as a, even as an unbeliever, you, you do things that are embarrassing or you find like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. There, there are things you feel a little bit of shame, but how do you deal with the shame issue? glory in it. Their glory is in their shame. So the way that I overcome my shame as an unbeliever is I just glory in it. It's boasting. If you brag about it, if you get enough people to affirm it, 
applaud it, think it's funny, then you feel much better about it. If you can laugh about how drunk you were, laugh about what you did last night when you were drunk, if you can laugh about how bad your hangover was and how much you threw up afterwards, if you can boast about it in the locker room, make a flag about it and wave it. Glory in the shame. That's how the world deals with sin and shame. But Paul says in verse 21, so what fruit was produced then from the things you are now, now as a Christian, you're ashamed of. The outcome of those things is death. The result of this left side is shame and death. So that's what we get apart from Christ. If I said, hey, I would love everyone to come up on stage and just share with us the most shameful things you've ever done as an unbeliever. That would be terrible. That would be shameful. All the exploits that you used to laugh about and boast about, it's shameful. But here's the thing, what Paul says in Philippians 3.18, he says, I say this with tears. I say this with tears. So here's the thing, church, this is so important for us. This is not the time for us. The response of Romans 6 is not like angry activism. Like, let's get out there and rock the vote. Okay, do your, yeah, we're in a democracy, do what you need to do. But the point here is Paul says, I say, when I say that, I'm saying it with tears. Like, that is, that wrecks me to say what I was like and what the world is like. And you know why we say it with tears and not anger? Because that was us. That was us glorying in the shame. That's why he says in this language here, the things you are now ashamed of, like you didn't used to be, but now in Christ you are. And he says, and the wages of that sin is death. That's where it all ends for slave number one is ultimately it's not just shame, it's, it's death. And so there were some guys uh, that were out fishing. And they were fishing, you know, Hoover Dam, Lake Mead. And you know something, it's like been in the news and stuff, so Lake Mead has dropped like a couple hundred feet. It's at some of its lowest levels. And so these guys are fishing, and a lot of different things appear. Because imagine, like, what used to be 200 feet down is now a sandbar, right? So all these things that were dropped, you know, boats that were sunk, are just showing up on sandbars. And so these guys are fishing, and they see a barrel. They find a barrel. So they go over there, and, you know, the lake's revealing all kinds of interesting debris. Well, remember Johnny P. Living with all that freedom and fun in Vegas in 1976. He had his little boat dock on Lake Mead. He went out to meet some guys 
and Johnny went missing. The mafia is a cruel master, and serving them, the paycheck, the wages that he got for serving the mafia was death. Like the mafia, sin always comes for payback. You may seem like you are on top of the world. This is what Romans 6 is telling us, is that our master that we obey, this sin, it pays us back, and the wages of sin is what? You put in your time card, you clock in, you sin all day, and what wages do you get at the end? Death. A barrel at the bottom of Lake Mead. That's where it all ends. But look at verse 22. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. I have great news for you because that is not you if you're in Christ. You have a different life. You have a different master. And here's the result for slave number two. The result is eternal life. Eternal life. And you know, now all these years later after high school and college, I I often have this conversation with my friend who at that moment walked away from Jesus to live his life of freedom. I often think, you know, to my friend, you know, you're over here thinking you're having so much fun getting drunk on cheap beer and Jesus is the one turning water into wine. (laughs) Jesus is the one calming seas, raising dead people. Jesus is the one that brings life and transformation That's the master I want. It's Jesus. So how do we respond to Romans 6? He tells us right here. He says, the first thing is, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just want to say this. If you are new to the Bible, and you are new to your faith, and if someone asks you, how can I know Jesus? You're like, I don't know what I would say. This is the verse you should say, Romans 6, 23. I I think that every Christian should just have this verse memorized because this is like how to tell someone about Jesus in one verse. It's the bad news. The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life. How? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is an incredible verse. The response, if you are slave number one on the left, is receive the gift of Jesus. Receive the gift of Jesus. That is the response that this text demands of slave number one. I want to ask a question to you. 
if you are living your life as though Christ is not your master, but you're your own master, I want to ask you the question right now. What sin do you think that you're getting away with? It might be the most, the smallest compromise. And this has been, I've been examining my own heart and saying, what are the sins that I've just kind of lived with and said, I, I, yeah, but that's not that big of a deal. But especially if you have never transferred your trust to Jesus, and you might be like Johnny P in Vegas, like, yeah, life is good. Life is good. Why would I take out all these rules? What sin do you think you're getting away with? Because this is where it ends. Death. So the response to that is to, he says, the gift of God is eternal life. So what is the response to that? How do you respond to someone handing you a gift you could never have earned or deserved? What's the application to the gift? It's receive. Open your hands, your empty hands with nothing in them, and receive. If someone hands you the keys to a $10 million beach house, you don't hold out your hands with $5 in it and be like, hey, I just kind of want to help out. I feel bad just taking it from you. But here's five bucks. Like you don't come to the cross with some cash in your hands like, hey, Jesus, but I did kind of do some good things yesterday. No, you come empty-handed. We're going to come to the communion table and you have nothing. And all you do is receive the gift. That's what living under grace is like. Grace, the word charis, it means gift. You receive it from the Lord. That's application number one. And it was purchased with his blood. What a precious gift. Verse 19b, he says, halfway through, he says, so here's the other application. Just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, listen, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. The response for slave number two, if you are already a follower of Jesus, here's your application. Right there in verse 19, offer your body through spiritual disciplines. Offer your body through spiritual disciplines. He comes back to this. Some of you guys will know this. When is the next time in Romans that you will hear those words, to offer your bodies? When does he come back to this? Anyone? Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to what? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Remember where we heard that word pattern before? Remember that mold that you're, you know, the melted steel that was poured into that, that cast, that new pattern of teaching in Romans 6? He's like, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's talking about your body parts, your hands, your ears, your eyes, your tongue. And he's saying, Offer them now to God, to Jesus, to your new master. 
What does it mean to offer your body? I think sometimes we way over-spiritualize this so that we have lost the meaning of it. Your body is your kingdom. Your body is the place where you're like, hey, hand, do this thing. And it does that thing. Like you have a lordship over your body. So what we're doing as Christians is we're offering our bodies now to Jesus. And the Christian life, now that you have a new heart, it's a life of training your body to act and behave and live like Jesus would. So let me ask, let's think of it in just physical terms because that's what we're talking about. What is something that you have trained your body to do? Answer that in your mind right now. What's something that you have trained your body to do? You know, they say that if you learn like a repetitive motion, like when you're like 12 or 13 and you're preteen and teen years, you will know how to do that for the rest of your life. And some of the things I trained myself to do when I was 13, I could do it in my sleep, right? I could ollie off this stage right now. It, it's just that because I wasted so much time doing that. I trained my body to roll around on a piece of wood. And it's like, it's worth nothing now, except like my wrists hurt real bad. Some of you guys, it, what is it? Like, I mean, running a skid loader, knitting, crocheting, shooting baskets, shooting free throws, golf swing, all those things, right? You spend hours and hours training your body to do a certain motion. That's what discipline is, but that's not what spiritual discipline is. Spiritual discipline is when the purpose is for a spiritual end. Your goal is not just to make a free throw or hit a ball 300 yards. The point of the training is to be like Jesus. Jeff shared about anger last week. And, you know, he shared that story, and I was like, that sounds so far-fetched. Like, he punched walls. That's crazy, because that's so far from the Jeff we know. And as far as I know, Jeff doesn't struggle walking around, like, punching walls. There's not holes all over the church, because Jeff, because people like me make, you know, people angry, right? And... I just have never seen that. It seems so far-fetched, right? Well, how did that happen? Years, like a new heart for sure. He got a new heart, and then he began to train his mind, train his hands to be like Jesus. I'm sure Teresa could tell us some stories. So we're all under construction, aren't we? But maybe for you it's not punching walls. Maybe it's punching people. That's what it was for me in elementary school before Jesus. What about, maybe your anger doesn't come out there. Maybe it comes out in social media. I can't believe all this stuff that's happened in the world. Right? And you need to take those little fingers and stop sharing your outrage with the world. Now you have a new master. And so you can take those fingers and start typing words of encouragement to people. Replace your outrage with some encouragement in the world. A funny story that makes fun of yourself and how you're part of the problem, right? 
That's what Paul means with offering the parts of your body. How many spiritual disciplines are there? It's not just read your Bible and pray. There are as many spiritual disciplines as you can think of. For example, go behind this. If you struggle with anger, replace it with patience. Stay behind that slow car. Don't pass them and just stay there. Offer your body to Jesus as you're like, you know what, Lord, thank you. And just, I get more time to pray right now. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna train this. No, it's not the bear anymore. It's I'm under Christ and hey, body, you will stay here and you will pray. And you will do this, just like the person shooting free throws. That's what you do. That's what spiritual discipline is. There's as many as you can think of. You struggle with anxiety and fear, replace it with thankfulness. Fill up a journal with just all the things that God has done for you. Offer your pen to Jesus and just write and thank God. You have to think through your sin struggles and make a plan for your training to offer your body to Jesus. Okay, we live under grace, we live under a new master, but we're still learning, aren't we? Let's, let's pray, let's go to him. Jesus, this is incredible news for us, that we don't have to live as slaves of our sin. There is hope this morning for transformation. And I wanna pray right now for those people that feel trapped. They feel like there's no hope for them. They feel like these patterns of sin have just been happening for too long. Release them this morning from that lie from hell. They are not on the left side. They are not slaves of sin. They don't serve the master of themselves and sin. They have a new master, Jesus. And would you just remind them of Romans 6 and the hope I just want to invite you as we end our time to come, come to the table, come with your empty hands and receive the blood of Jesus shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Receive the body of Christ that was broken for you. Would you just come and receive this morning? The gift of God is eternal life. When you're ready, we just invite you to come.